It's a very familiar sentence, isn't it, in, in, in our hymns. And uh, we know it from the Messiah. I know that my Redeemer lives. It's the instinctive cry of every true Christian, an assurance given by the Holy Spirit. And it's a surprise that we come to the book of Job, which is, is set in patriarchal times. And we find what we might think to have been a sentiment that uh, was confined to the New Testament. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the context of Job's suffering and darkness, it's a remarkable flash of light. It seems to have come prematurely uh, in Scripture. Sometimes when you uh, might see behind the scenes in the making of a costume drama and you see somebody perhaps in a, a Regency costume and then you see them relaxing and there they are in their 200 and odd year old uh, costume and they're holding a brand new iPhone uh, in their hands and it seems incongruous. And it seems to us in the light of all that's been happening and all the toings and froings Firstly, between Satan and God, and then the terrible affliction that uh, Satan is allowed to bring uh, upon Job, and then the toings and froings between Job and his friends. This seems out of place, and we think, how on earth can Job have such a clear hope, such a New Testament hope as that? I know that my Redeemer lives. You know that Job was the wealthiest man of his day. But you know too that he was the godliest man of his day. We know the names now, don't we, of the, uh, the wealthiest people in today's society. We know about Jeff Bezos. We know about Elon Musk. Uh, others are more reclusive. Some of them are great philanthropists like uh, Bill Gates, but I haven't heard of any who are godly. And the thing with Job is that he was the wealthiest and the godliest. He wasn't smug, I mean before his suffering came upon him. He wasn't complacent he was genuinely holy. It wasn't just that he was a kind man and charitable. God was everything to Job. Job hated the thought, not just that he might offend God, but he hated the thought that his family, his children might uh, offend God. And so Job, the wealthiest man, the godliest man in the world, is subjected to this uh, examination at the instigation of Satan, but by the permission of the Lord. The devil has a theory that the only reason that Job is the godliest man, the only reason that he continues in this life of piety, uh, and worship uh, towards God. The only reason he has any love at all for the Lord 
is because God has blessed him uh, in all these ways, with health, with uh, family, and with uh, great possessions. And the Lord allows Satan then to uh, take those things away. And in the end, Job has lost everything. He hears that his children have been killed. His own wife turns against him and says, Job, it isn't worth it. Why don't you just curse God and die? His breath is strange to his wife. He's despised by the little children. His friends come to him and he has some reason to hope that his friends will bring him some solace and some comfort but they're full of empty theologizing and they compound his problem. They insist that Job's suffering must be due to some great as yet unconfessed sin. And Job knows that he's not perfect, but he knows that that answer from his friends is too simplistic. And that God cannot be predicted or confined or analysed in that way. Job is desperately in the darkness holding on to the Lord. There he is sitting in ashes trying to itch his skin and his sores with bits of broken pottery, despairing that anyone will ever know or recount or record the, the truth and the reality of what is actually happening. And then we have this, this shaft of light I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. I think we can see there are at least five issues which this this sight of uh, a redeemer who is alive deals with uh, and helps Job. And there are those issues that we wrestle with uh, in the same way. And the first one I would pick out is uh, identity, personal significance. Job in this chapter and elsewhere in, in the book articulates the fear underneath that no one is really bothered that all of his sufferings could have happened completely randomly. There was no reason for them and there will be no good effect from them. And that it would make no difference to anyone in the end if Job did die. Job is afraid that no one is listening to him. Certainly his friends are just talking 
past him. His friends are just sermonising at him. They're telling him things about God that, that he knows are perfectly true, but they're not relevant to him in his situation. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Well, that uh, longing came true. He's afraid that nothing will be learned, that everything will have been in vain until he is given by faith to see that my Redeemer lives. Verse 27, uh, that first line is so significant. Whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. So there'll be no second-hand reports. The problem with the friends is that they're getting in the way between Job and God. They're giving him uh, their two pennyworth, their version of God's ways. But Job is given now to know and to see that his Redeemer, the one that gives him significance, the one who has purposes, though hidden from his eyes, that that great figure, the Lord of history, the Lord of life and death, that he will see him for himself, that his name will be recorded, that nothing will be lost, nothing will be wasted. Even before COVID, um, we lived in such an impersonal world, didn't we, where although trillions and trillions of words were being exchanged, uh, tweeted and texted, uh, etc. Yet people were becoming more and more detached from each other, and the virtual world, world was separating people already from that face-to-face contact, which is the essence of a true relationship. And now, of course, the pandemic exacerbated uh, those trends. And it's a wonderful thing to, to see that for Job and for us, we can be quite secure in who we are because we matter to the Redeemer. The Redeemer loves us enough that he will preserve us body and soul until that day when with our own eyes we shall see him, not on the edge of a crowd, not trying to pick up uh, rumours. We shall see him face to face. And that's where our identity, that's where our significance stands. It's with Christ. And his initiative, his choice of us, his purposes to redeem us. And secondly, the, the issue that Job wrestled with and that we wrestle with, that this great hope uh, answers, is infirmity and you don't have to go very far from the passage that we read chapter 19 just to see the horrendous 
dimensions of Job's physical suffering. Uh, Chapter 17 and verse 7, my eye has grown dim from vexation, all my members are like a shadow. Uh, And then chapter 19, verse 20, my bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. Back in chapter 7, it's very graphic. Chapter 7, verse uh, 1 to 5, has not man a hard service on earth? And are not his days like the days of a hired hand, like a slave who longs for the shadow, like a hired hand who looks for his wages? So I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long, and I'm full of tossing till the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle come to their end without hope. Here is Job then physically humiliated, physically brought as low as it is possible to go. And we read the book of Job and we feel that his case is extreme. But even without such dramatic suffering, uh, we know too well that we are prone to illness and to disease, to weaknesses, to accidents, to the effects of ageing and decline. Job's friends were convinced that his terrible affliction had to be the result of terrible sin. It's a view that persists today amongst Jehovah's Witnesses. It's the way that Jesus' disciples uh, thought, isn't it, in John chapter 9. Who sinned, uh, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Job, remarkably, in this very lowest humiliation of body, says that after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet, verse 26, yet in my flesh I shall see God. There's a conundrum, isn't there, in that verse. In my flesh I shall see God, but after my body has been destroyed. And that can only be resolved by this living Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has the power to change our lowly, our vile bodies, that they may be like unto his glorious body. After then the disintegration of the Christian's body, whether by cremation or whether by time in the earth, whether the body of a believer is reduced to nothing visible whatsoever. Yet, in the analogy of 1 Corinthians 15, the seed is sown and the fruit will be incorruptible. 
We believe, don't we, that body and soul are united to Jesus Christ by faith. The body is his and the soul is his. We are members of Christ. It matters in this life what we do with our bodies. And we have the privilege of anticipating in Christ by virtue of Calvary, by virtue of the resurrection, that we shall be made complete. That in the life to come, we shall be able with our own two eyes, in flesh restored, to see our Redeemer. I often think that um, Christians are not materialistic enough. I mean that Christians are not materialistic enough in the way that they think about the life of the world to come. We can be very uh, vague about the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. We can be very vague about what it means to be glorified. But we shall be in the flesh and we shall see God. And then thirdly, it seems to me that uh, Job has been wrestling with injustice. And this is something which the, the vision of a redeemer standing at the last on the earth is such a comfort. Verse 23 and 24. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. There's always an issue, isn't there, in history with who gets to write history and what version of history is recorded. Job is looking to this one, this redeemer, to defend his cause, to maintain the truth. He has committed his cause to the one who judges righteously. The Redeemer will give the final verdict. And there's ignorance as well, fourthly, isn't there? And this is the thing that uh, uh, Job finds to be so painful. He knows that his friends are not right. They're not helpful in all that they say. They claim to know what God was doing but they're ignorant. And Job, near the end of uh, the, the book, chapter 38, 39, 40, 41, uh, God assaults him with uh, all his uh, power and the manifestation of how the Lord controls and upholds the whole of nature, the whole of the cosmos. He is awesome in power. And Job, for now, it suffices for him to know my Redeemer lives. And it seems that that knowledge is all that he needs. And God graciously grants him to know all that matters 
is that the one who holds my cause in his hands, that he will be there at the end. I'm not dismayed, therefore. I don't speculate, therefore. I wait on the Lord. He is my hope. And lastly, Job wrestled with iniquity and we, we wrestle, don't we, with sin, with our falling short of the glory of God. We're very conscious of the reality of indwelling sin. And Job is aware of how he looks in the sight of God, the moral gulf between them. He, know, he knows he can't stand up to God's power. If only, he says in chapter 9, there was someone to intercede, someone to lay his hand on both parties, someone to effect reconciliation. One who is God, but is also alongside God. And so also involved in this word redeemer is the most central thing of all, the dealing with the atoning for sin, the sin-bearing work of the Redeemer, so that all the effects of the curse can be lifted, so that the groaning earth, so that groaning believers have this sure hope that the Redeemer shall stand, that he will come, that he will restore all things and that I shall see him directly, and he will see me, and he will acknowledge me. Does your heart yearn then? Does your heart faint within you as Job's did? Let's long for him and for his appearing.